How are you doing? Good. If you have your Bible, you can open them to Matthew 14 this morning. started a series last week called Walking with Jesus, and we've been following the Apostle Peter around his discipleship adventure, realizing that Jesus also wants to disciple us, not just Peter. And so last week, if you were here, or if you, even if you weren't, we talked about the power, of, the power of saying yes to Jesus in the smallest of things, that a small amount of faith can actually open the doors to big things. And so this morning, we turn our attention to Peter doing something big, Walking on water. And so I'm going to equip all of you to walk on water this week. That's the goal. So we got 30 minutes to do that. How would your life be different if you had unlimited resources? You ever thought about that? You'd probably be able to afford to live in the Bay Area. Yeah, unlimited resources. <laughs> My wife and I and our kids were up at Tahoe a few weeks ago and we have a friend who has a cabin there, and they're selling the cabin. They said, come and use our cabin before it's gone. And so we went up there, and it was amazing. And while we were there, we were, like, falling in love with, like, Tahoe and lamenting the fact this cabin is being sold. And so this thought crossed my mind. We should buy this cabin. It's perfect. They're selling it. We don't have one. We should get this one. All right, so I pull up Zillow. $1.2 million. So when I realized that we have limited resources. Now, as we start this adventure of walking with Jesus and talking about faith, the question I want to ask is, how would your life look different if you had unlimited faith? And what would be different about your day-to-day -day life? What would be different about the trajectory of your life? What would be different about your relationship with Jesus if your faith was not a limiter? You know, last week we learned that faith is the kind of the portal into great things with God. And, and so we had this challenge last week coming out of the sermon that we would go and say yes to Jesus, even in the smallest of things. Just exert a little bit of faith and see what happens. And many of us went out and realized that we don't even have a little bit of faith. I was in an Uber last week, which is kind of like the, the 2019 version of sitting next to an in someone in an airplane. You know, that's the place you're supposed to share your faith with someone. So I got into the Uber, and I felt like God was tapping on my shoulder and saying, all right, here we go. This is the thing that you told everyone to do. Now you do it. All right, exert a little bit of faith and share your faith, or exert a little bit of faith and share your faith. And I'm like, okay, I got this, all right? I used to not be able to talk to strangers, but now I can. I'm going to do it. And so I'm praying, God, just give me a softball, right? It's my first time in this Uber with this guy. Just have him turn around, God, and say, hey, do you have anything important you want to tell me? You know? <laughs> but God didn't answer that prayer. So I just take matters into my own hands, right? And I start asking this guy questions. You know, what do you do when you're not with Uber? What does your wife do, right? I'm, I'm trying to get him to, like, take us down some kind of road that I can, like, hijack for the gospel, right? <laughs> He's not doing it. It's not working, right? God, come on, right? Throw me a bone here. And I've got, I've got something you don't have. I've got my job that I can use, right? And so I'm just hoping that he's going to say, what do you do for a living? <laughs> so finally he does, right? We're like a block from the church. I've been giving him all the signals, right? I'm saying like, hey, just take me up to the big three crosses church up there. It's a big place, huh? Just take me up there. 
finally says, hey, so what do, you, what do you do for a living? I'm like, yes, here we go, God. All right, here we go. I'm like, well, I'm like, start slow. Don't freak him out. I'm like, I actually work at that big Three Crosses church that we're driving to. Silence. <laughs> and in the silence, I, I felt like God gave me the softball. It's like, okay, here's all I want you to do. Say, do you and your wife go to church anywhere on the weekends? It's an easy question, right? It's the next tap. And I'm like, awesome, I got it. <laughs> As I'm like in the backseat of this car trying to spit out a very simple question, time, like the clock just keeps ticking, right? And the awkward silence gets longer and longer and longer. And finally I realize it's going to feel real awkward now. It's like the, this is not out of anywhere. Now it's out of the air. Like, do you go to church, right? felt so dumb, and before too long, we're pulling up to the church, and I'm, like, getting out of the car. Like, faith is the resource that we need to step into big things with God. Many of us, including myself, often find ourselves in a place where we lack the basic resource that it takes to do the thing that God calls us to do. And the question I want to wrestle with this morning is... It, is more around the why of that. Because it seems like Jesus has a habit of always calling us to do things that are a little bit too scary for us. Right? If faith is a muscle, it seems like we generally just have just not enough to do the thing that he wants us to do. If faith is like a currency, it's like he's always asking us to do something that costs a little bit more than we have. Right? If faith is a test, we keep, fa- we keep failing the test over and over again. And so the question I want to ask of this text in Matthew 14 is why does Jesus ask us to do things that, take, that takes more faith than we have available? Why is that? Why is it that it seems like Jesus is always asking us to do something a little bit too hard from a faith level? As Jesus knew, it seemed, that I could talk to this guy about his family all day, right? But the thing that Jesus wanted me to say was a little bit harder than I wanted to do. Jesus, can you make it a little bit easier? A little? Why do you do it this way? And so to do this, I want to look at Matthew 14, where Peter does something I've never done. He walks on the Sea of Galilee. I kind of floated on the Dead Sea, but I've never walked on Galilee. This is verse 22. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Uh, the crowd was there because of the feeding of the 5,000 with a couple of loaves of bread. The disciples helped with that, and now he's sending them across the lake. So it says, after he had dismissed them, he, Jesus, went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, Jesus was there alone, and their boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. (laughs) Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? 
And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. This morning, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. This is profound. Jesus can do things normal humans cannot do. Let's just make that clear. Jesus can do things normal humans cannot do. Normal humans cannot walk on water. Normal humans cannot feed 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish, right? Jesus can do things normal humans cannot do. I sit and I watch this passage and I wonder, what is Jesus, what's his plan here? What's he doing? It seems like he's toying with the disciples, right? He sends them off in this boat. He knows a storm is coming. He's praying and he's watching them struggle to do this thing. And finally, it's like it's his time, right? So I don't know if he stretched first. I don't know how this works, but... Jesus comes down off the mountain, comes across the shore, and just boom, walks across the lake like normal humans cannot do. And as he gets close to the boat, the disciples, Matthew says, are terrified. It's a ghost! They scream. And I feel like, I, I, as much as we want to judge the disciples, I feel like this is one of those times that we're supposed to give them a little bit of slack. Because I know for me, and I'm pretty sure for you, if you were out on Lake Tahoe or Lake Chabot or something in the middle of the night, in the middle of a storm, and you saw Jesus or anybody, like your brother or like your friend or your kindergarten teacher, right, walking across the lake towards you, I don't care if you're into ghosts or you don't believe in ghosts, that's all you can think about. That's a ghost. Because that is something that normal humans cannot do. So I feel like as we read this passage, we're supposed to be like, well, of course the disciples thought that. But it's funny, as you look at the gospel writer's account of this, some of the gospel writers kind of judge the disciples for not recognizing Jesus. Right? In Mark's account, Mark tells the story of, of the disciples doing the same thing, and it's a ghost, and it's scary, and then Jesus gets into the boat. And then Mark says this. He says, they were completely amazed. And then he says this, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Mark's theory was, these guys had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 men and women and children with a couple of loaves of bread. Right? They had just experienced, like an hour ago, that Jesus can do things that normal humans cannot do. And then they saw him doing another thing that normal humans can't do. And, and to Mark, he's thinking, it's crazy. They were amazed. He said their hearts must have been hardened, like they couldn't see Jesus, even though they should have been able to see Jesus. You know, for us, Jesus walking on water is like this crazy out of nowhere thing. But Mark's perspective was that Jesus walking on water was just the next logical step of things they'd seen Jesus do. They'd seen him cast out demons. They had participated in casting out demons. They'd seen him feed 5,000. They had participated in seeing 5,000. So to Mark, well, the next logical thing is now you're going to see him defy gravity, Right? But for the disciples in that boat, even though it was just the next logical step, it was just so out of their radar, they couldn't see it. I think the same thing happens to us. Now, we don't see Jesus walking on water very often. 
But most of the time that we have a hard time believing Jesus at his word when he calls us to do something or when he does something in our midst or says, trust me in this, it's not an out of left field thing. Most of the time we're, we're blown away by something Jesus is doing. It's really just one logical step more than he's ever done before. Right? Like you've had time in your life when your finances were really hard and God showed up and you trusted him. And now you're in a season where they're a little bit harder, but you're freaking out just like last time, even though an onlooker would say, didn't you have this experience before and God was faithful? You're like, I know, I know, I just can't, I can't trust him this time. Right? There's, there's something broken in us that even when Jesus shows up and says, take the next step, here's the next step, here's the next bigger thing, we just can't do it. It's too hard. It's too much. We say no. For the disciples, it's believing Jesus can walk on water. For me, it's believing Jesus will show up when I ask the Uber driver if he goes to church or not. It's like the Apostle Mark would say, and Danny was amazed because he didn't understand that the last time God called him into a conversation, God worked it out. His heart must have been hardened in that moment. Jesus calms him down. He says, hey, guys, it's me. It's me. Sorry to scare you, right? And something clicks in Peter. It's almost like if none of the disciples, according to Mark, understood what happened on the beach with the loaves and the fishes, it's like Peter gets it, right? He's remembering what Jesus did as, as they looked around and they saw these crowds and the disciples said, well, we need to send them away to get some food. And, and Jesus said, well, let's, let's feed them. How are we supposed to feed them? We don't have any bread except for a couple of loaves. And Jesus said, you feed them with a couple of loaves. And all of a sudden, they start feeding people, and it multiplies. It's like Peter is recognizing what's been happening these last couple days, and he realizes that when Jesus is doing something crazy, he's trying to involve them into it. And so Peter looks at Jesus, and, and he says, Lord, if it's you, ask me to come to you on the water. That's not what I would say if I was in the middle of a lake at night in a storm. Right? But something changed in Peter's mind that he realized that when Jesus is doing something, it's an invitation for you to do it too. And so Peter asks Jesus. Jesus says, come on, let's do it. Peter takes a step out of the boat. Like Indiana Jones, remember that one? Takes a step out of the boat. And I don't know if it was like squishy. I don't know how it worked, right? And he starts walking on the water. I don't think this passage teaches us that you should go out on Lake Chabot and take a boat out and practice. <laughs> I think that was for Peter. I think what this passage teaches us is that when we partner with Jesus, we can do things that normal humans cannot do. I think a lot of us have experienced that in our lives. I talked to a couple a few weeks back who were in a season of their life that was really hard. We're talking about job loss and the cutting back of hours and being underemployed and not having enough to make ends meet. And they said, hey, in the midst of all of this, we just felt compelled as a couple as we went through that hungry series back in June. And maybe we should start praying and fasting and seeing what God does. And so since they weren't working as much, they had some more time. And so the wife would go to work with the husband and they would drive around and they wouldn't eat all day and they'd fast every Monday. They'd been doing that all summer long. They'd fast and they'd pray and they'd read the Bible to each other in the car and and they said, we're just going to worship God in the midst of our life, even though our circumstances aren't good. And they said, Danny, it's crazy. Like if you were an outsider looking at our life or looking at our bank accounts or looking at our checkbook or looking at our circumstance, you would say that we are going down in flames, right? But for us in the middle of this thing, this is the best season we've ever had. 
is that our relationship has never been better. Our relationship with God has never been better. I've never been so confident where my next meal is going to come from, even though my checking account doesn't have anything in it because God has given us this supernatural faith to go through this season in the midst of chaos. They said, it's crazy. Their friends will say, how are you getting through this? This is insane. It's like any normal human would be up in their room crying. But you're praying, you're worshiping, you're fasting, you're trusting the Lord. You seem confident. Are you sure you're okay? Normal human beings do not plant 100,000 or 24,000 churches under intense persecution. That's not what they do. Normal human beings don't get their church burned down and then move to a garbage collection facility and keep worshiping there. Normal humans don't keep preaching when people try to attack you for doing it. But when we partner with Jesus, we can do things that normal human beings cannot normally do. Some of you are in a season right now where maybe it's not financial, maybe it's relationship stuff, maybe it's life stuff, maybe it's sickness stuff, maybe it's marriage stuff, whatever it is, that you're navigating this season and everyone who is close to you is looking on and saying, how are you still here? Like, how are you still smiling? Why are you still coming to church? How are you still trusting God? Why does it seem like your faith is stronger now than it was three months ago? This is the hardest thing you've ever gone through. And you're just like, I don't know. It is hard. It is. I do cry. This is an intense season of despair for me. But at the same time, I feel like God is doing something here. And I have no idea where this strength comes from. It just happens sometimes. That's what happens when God says, trust me, and we say, okay. Peter steps out of the boat, and he has an experience outside of the boat like most of us have in our lives, where it's like really great for a second, <laughs> and then it's like, what am I doing outside of this boat, right? They were walking on cloud nine, and all of a sudden we realized, I'm on a cloud. Why am I walking on a cloud? Start singing to earth, like Wiley Coyote. Uh, 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 uh. And he sees the wind. He sees the waves. And he's afraid. And and Peter goes to Jesus. And he says, Lord, save me. I almost did it. Save me. I almost made it. You called me to step out of the boat. I did just for a second. Did you see it? Please tell me you saw that, right? But now save me. And Jesus immediately grabs him. And in Matthew 14, verse 31, Jesus says, You of little faith, why'd you doubt? When I put myself in Peter's shoes, I know how he's feeling. I'd be like, he could say, And Danny stepped out of the Uber, and Jesus said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? You walked away from that conversation and said nothing. And Jesus said, You of little faith. Why did you doubt? You stressed and stressed and stressed about where your next paycheck was going to come from. And then money showed up. And Jesus said, here's the money, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? It just reminds us like over and over again, God gives us something, gives us something, tries to give us something. And we fail it. We fail the test. We fail the test. We fail the test. And it's like we're reminded every day that we don't have the faith to carry out the work that God has called us to do. Seems like we fail more than we succeed. As I was wrestling with this passage and asking that why question, like, why does Jesus always do that? 
Why is he asking Peter to walk on water, right? Why, why couldn't he be at first, like, said, hey, Peter, like, hold my hands. Let's do it together, right? Why is he making it so hard, so scary? I started asking, well, why is Jesus walking on a lake in the middle of the night anyway? And sometimes we forget to ask the bigger questions. And I started reading the passage again through that lens. Like, what is Jesus doing? From Jesus' perspective, what is happening here? And I started seeing things in the text I had never seen before. Right, I noticed that while Jesus was feeding the 5,000, it actually started as Jesus seeing these crowds and the disciples realizing they were hungry and Jesus saying, we should feed them. And, and then Jesus looks at the disciples and says, why don't you feed them? And then through the hands of the disciples, they feed the 5,000. Then Jesus sends him onto the lake and he's just kind of praying and watching and smiling, I'm imagining. And, and then he goes out and he's walking into towards the boat and and Peter says, can I walk on water too? He's like, let's try together. It seems like when you look at it from that vantage point that Jesus is not trying to test the disciples. He's not trying to torment the disciples. He's trying to train the disciples. And what Jesus is doing in all of these iterations that we've talked about in the series and will talk about is he's using these moments, these circumstances, these, these opportunities in life to grow the disciples in their faith by giving them the next thing to do. Right? At one point, the next thing to do was to feed 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread. Now the next thing to try is let's try walking on water and see how it works. And as we look at the text through this lens, what we realize is that the reason Jesus puts us in these situations, he puts us in situations just beyond our ability for one reason, to grow us in our faith. And that's what he's doing. He puts Peter in this situation that's just beyond his level of ability, to put it lightly. Not to test him. Not to torment him, not to make fun of him for being terrible at water walking. Jesus puts him in the situation to grow him in his faith. Right? In those moments in your life that God is calling you to step into something that's a little bit scary, he's calling you to step into something that's a little bit scary, not because he wants to see if you've got it in you or not, but because he wants to grow you as you say yes and you watch him show up and it takes your faith a little bit stronger. You know, the image that I had in my mind as I walked through this passage and wrestled with these ideas this week was a message of almost like Jesus as a personal trainer. I know we don't like going to the gym. We don't go to the gym, right? This is not an ad for a gym, but I'm going to use an illustration about a gym. I got this image in my mind of almost like, you know, if you go to the gym and you want to work out, you want to get stronger, right? There's two things that you should not do, and yet most of us do this thing. You, you shouldn't go to like those little half-pound weights and grab them. Be like, look in the mirror. Be like, yeah, yeah, this is great, right? That's not going to do anything, right? Not, again, I'm not a personal trainer. Don't take advice from me. Sign a waiver if you're going to. You shouldn't do this. Shouldn't do this, right? The other thing you shouldn't do is go to the other side of the rack and be like, yeah, I'm going to show these people how strong I am and go for these like 300-pound dumbbells. Be like, you know what? Who needs this? Who needs right? Don't do that. Don't go to that side. Don't go to that side. What you should do if you go to the gym, I'm assuming, right, is you should start kind of over here on the lighter side, grab something, be like, too easy, too easy, too easy, and wait till you find some level of weight that's got some resistance to it. We're like, okay, this is not so hard. I can't pick these things up. I'm not going to hurt myself. I'm not wrecking my form, right? But this is not so easy. It's not doing anything. This is the right weight because it's a little bit harder than I think I can do. And so if you go to the gym and you grab some weights that are a little bit harder than you think you could do and you try it and it's working and you do it, you're going to get stronger as you do that. And as you go back to the gym a couple weeks later, you might realize, now these ones are a little bit too easy. So you'll take a step up, right? Five pounds more and be like, 
Now, these ones are just a little bit too hard, right? And you grow as you put yourself in situations that are just beyond what's easy for you, right? If you want to go to the gym and just have a fun, easy time, that's great, but you're wasting your money. If you want to go to the gym and just show people how strong you are by pretending to lift weights that you can't lift, that's dumb. You're just going to hurt yourself or look stupid or both. But if you go to the gym and you find some weights that are just a little bit hard for you and you lift them, and then you get stronger, and then you lift them, and you get, that's how you grow. I think the same thing is true with our faith. I think faith is a muscle, and so I think it's true that your faith will grow stronger as you use it. I think the reason that Jesus invites us to do things that are a little bit too hard for us is not because he's trying to torment us, but it's the same reason that the personal trainer gives you an ex- exercise that's just a little bit too hard for you. He wants to grow you. Right? One of the reasons that you're not walking on water on a daily basis is because that is not the level of faith that you have grown to, right? We look at Peter's life. He started out not being a follower of Jesus. Then he dropped everything, started following Jesus. Then he saw Jesus cast out demons. Then he got sent to cast out demons. Then he saw Jesus do some miracles. Then he tried to do some of his own. Now he's passing out bread. Now he's walking on water. Like he's growing over time as Jesus gives him the next exercise, the next thing to do. So for you, as you live life in the world this week, look at faith like a muscle that God is calling you to exercise and grow stronger. Look at those opportunities that you feel like are just slightly too hard for you. As not God trying to show you that you stink at this, (laughs) but as God saying, no, trust me, you can do this. Just do this. Spit out the words and see what happens. Right? That's me in the taxi realizing, okay, I just got to blurt out these words because that's my next step, and it seems too hard, but that's crazy. It's not that hard. Just do it, and then do it. And our faith will grow as we come up to the resistance and say yes one more time, and Jesus grows us as a result. If you want to write down some things that, that can be perspective for you this week, I'll give you four things as we close this morning. Number one, tune your mind to see Jesus at work around you. I think that's the key that, that Peter first saw, was that as he's in the boat, it's like, oh, it's a ghost, it's so scary, and then all of a sudden, something clicked for him, and he realized, this is not Jesus trying to Halloween scare us, this is Jesus trying to grow us in some way, and he sees that Jesus is at work, and he's attuned to that, and so that's where his growth began, tune your mind to see Jesus at work around you, say, God, what are you calling me into this week, where do you want me to grow this week, what's the next step for me? Now, number two... Look at the Spirit's promptings in your life as opportunities to grow your faith. Look at the Spirit's promptings as faith-growing opportunities, right? God is not calling you to do something because he needs an errand done. God is not calling you to do something because he wants to test you to see if you're a good enough Christian or not. The Spirit is prompting you to do things because he's asking you to participate in something he's doing, and he wants to grow your faith and change the world as a result. So look at those as faith-growing opportunities, not faith Testing opportunities. Uh, Third, this is the big one. Take one more scary step. All right, this is the like, what's the walk on water moment for you? When you're in that place where you've said yes, you've said yes, you've said yes, and you've grown up to this limit where you're like, I can't do anymore. Jesus, trust me, just ask the question. Or trust me, just blurt out the words. Or trust me, just go to that meeting. Or trust me, just go to that service or launch that small group. Whatever it is, you're like, that's too scary. Take one more scary step. I don't think Jesus is judging Peter that he only took one step on top of water. 
I think Jesus is rejoicing with Peter that he did it. It's like, oh, why did you doubt? You're doing so good. Take one more. Just take one more. You could have done it too. Just take one more. Scary stab. And finally, pay attention to how far you've come. Don't forget how far you've come. You know, like I said, Peter is not walking on water day one of his discipleship. This is Matthew 14. Right? We're halfway through the Gospel of Matthew. He's already seen Jesus do great things. He's already been sent to do great things. He's already partnered with Christ in miraculous ways. He's already, his own hands have fed thousands of people with one loaf of bread, right? He's already done that. This is his next step. In the same way, whatever God's calling you to do this week is probably way crazier than what he called you to do five years ago, right? Five years ago, if I was in a taxi, I wouldn't even talk to the guy, right? I'd put in headphones and hide and hope he didn't talk to me. Five years ago, if God said, I want you to use this as an opportunity to share your faith, I'd be like, nope, shut down, shut down, shut down, shut down, right? But God has got me to the place where I'm like, yes to that, yes to conversation, yes to trying to navigate it, yes to get into the conversation. And now I'm at the nope in terms of the scary conversation. So I got to get past that nope to get to the next yes. Don't forget how far you've come in this thing, right? Five years ago, you were scared to come in the door of a church, and now you're scared to share the gospel with your parents, right? It's, you've come a long way. But what's the next step? What's the next step? Because growth happens when the Spirit grows us as we move forward in obedience to Jesus. And you can lament that you don't have infinite faith, but at the same time, Jesus says, you know how much faith it takes to move a mountain? A mustard seed amount, like the smallest amount. It doesn't take a lot. You don't need a lot of faith to do big things for God. You just need to say yes, like a small yes to the next thing. So when you don't have the faith, ask for it and see what God does as you trust him to take the next scary yes. If Jesus is taking us on a discipleship journey like a personal trainer, start stretching this week because next week we'll talk about some exercises that he gives the disciples to learn how to multiply and grow more rapidly in our relationship with him and the ministry he gives us. And so we'll talk about that next week. This morning we're going to close our time together before we worship, receiving communion together. You know, for some of you in this room, communion might be that next scary step, right? It might be one of those things that you, you believe in Jesus, you became a Christian, but you're still at a place you feel like, I can't take communion. I'm, I haven't earned it yet. Let me tell you, you don't earn communion, right? Communion is a reminder that you earned nothing, but Jesus has paid it all. And so maybe for you, as a believer in Jesus, in relationship with him, the next scary step you need to take is say, you know what? I am unworthy, but he is worthy. And he has made me worthy, and so I'll receive this meal in thanksgiving for what he has done. And take the step, receive communion for the first time. Or maybe your next scary step is to believe in Jesus for the first time today and then receive communion knowing that now you're a Christian. That's scary, but do it. Or maybe for you, the scary step is abstaining for communion because you are in a place where you're not a Christian. Or you're in a place where you're in active sin and rebellion against God you don't want to deal with. And so you want to just go through the motions of church. Stop. Take the scary step to let it pass on by and do business with God and then come back and find restoration in him. If this is a scary step for you, ask God, what do I do with this? And let this be a step you take in obedience with Jesus. After I pray, as the ushers come forward and pass out the elements, if you're a Christian, if you're walking with the Lord, grab the bread, grab the cup, and hold on to it. We'll partake together in just a few minutes. Let's pray and we'll receive communion together.